This is Cass Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cass Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cass Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. My name is Lydia Cruz. Thanks for being here. I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Here we are on this fine Saturday. We've been really enjoying uh, a lot of the football that's been on TV lately. There's a bunch of football fans in this room. I'm sure there are out there as well. What have you guys thought so far of, of the football on TV this month? I have been thinking about what you talked about last week, the countdown to pitchers and catchers reporting. Yeah, <laughs> February 14th, man. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. When the Seahawks aren't in it, I know it's it's sad and it sucks that that did not happen. But at the same time, I feel like I can actually watch and appreciate football without this emotional attachment, this gut-wrenching live and die by every play, I can kind of just sit back and appreciate it. So that's been nice for me. And you're not trying to dissect it. Not as much. I just don't feel as emotionally invested, which is great. I mean, if you like the underdog, it's it's the year of the underdog. It's the year no of the underdog. Case Keenum, Nick Foles, Blake, Blake Bortles, yeah. and the Jaguars would be in the playoffs. I've read this headline a lot. Nobody thought we could do it. <laughs> chip on our shoulder. That's, but, but you all have chips on your yeah, shoulder. Yeah, you do. Reminds you of the Seahawks a little bit, like so, 2012 Seahawks. Of the four left, who wins it all? Well, you got a Boston fan in the room over here, so yeah, someone's going to so. go with Brady, obviously. I, I'm going to go with the Patriots, even though I'm very, actually, I think the Jaguars are going to be a really tough matchup for them. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I mean, Minnesota looking pretty good, like riding the high of the possibility of hosting their own Super Bowl for the first time in history and just that crowd. I don't know. That, that could be. With no playoff experience, Case Keenum came through big time yesterday. Brand new stadium. Yeah. Yep. Pride of the, the upper Midwest. And he just <laughs> seems like a nice guy. So it's, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my chips in that basket. I think. Okay, yeah. Keenum, man. It'd be fun to see uh, the Vikings do something. It's been what 44 years since they have done much of anything. So we can relate to that here. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. Mariner season's coming up. <laughs> well, cool. I mean, think about what we were thinking before 2013. Before exactly. The Seahawks went. You know. Yeah. They, they went once in uh, well, five but didn't end the way we wanted. Kind of a special thing. Yeah. So other than football, we got some crazy things going on in the news, going on in the industry uh, when it comes to beer, wine, and spirits. The first up, this trend I find pretty intriguing. For the first time, the three best-selling beers in America right now are light beers. For the first time ever. For the first time ever. In history. Budweiser has pretty much always been among that top three. And no, this right now, been edged out. Budweiser's been dethroned, no longer <laughs> in the top three. Yeah, Bud Light, uh, Rain Supreme, Coors Light comes in at number two. And then Miller Light is the sort of surprise guest knocking Budweiser out of the top three. Yeah. And from our friends at the Washington Post and the writer, Fritan talks about the changing consumption trends among people who drink beer, wanting to move towards lighter beers, less hoppy, less bitter. And of course, for us in the Northwest, that means less what? Less IPA, because we've been the king of IPA for a long time. And uh, talks about how even the regional and smaller craft brewers are now trying to push harder and faster into the lager and the light beer because their customers are asking for it. One of the things about making beer, it's very difficult to make really good commercial beer, and it's hard to make it consistently so that your customers come back to your tap room. And uh, one of the things about IPAs is that the IPA is a little more forgiving in terms of how it's made. So you can get away with a little more imperfection here and now in the beer. Moving into light beers and lagers, the brewmaster at those breweries has to be even better technically. 
to make a better quality, consistent beer that the consumers will come back for at that craft level. So now it's time for the local guys to turn it up and see if they can really begin to match the big guys quality-wise. They're always going to be a little more expensive, but this trend is fascinating to watch. Yeah, well, that is the theme of the article. Can those craft brewers keep up with this trend? And I would think so with their attention to detail with the, I don't know, amount and focus that is put on that, especially in the Pacific Northwest region. I know it's hard around here. I, I feel like I don't know anyone that drinks light beer. So many people, yeah. when I go to bars around here, order the the Mannies or, I, you know, IPAs, heavier beers. And I think we're just so used to drinking craft beer out here. It's funny when I uh, go out on distributor meetings, they all order the same thing, regardless of the distributor. They're ordering Coors Light. Hmm. Coors Light is the go-to. When I go out on the boat or I hang out with buddies on the weekends, it's always Coors Light because it's just easy to drink. Among Now, I'm in my 40s, right? So I'm a little less interested in really heavy, heavy stuff. So I stick with vodka. <laughs> there you go. Another interesting story, this one coming out of the Chicago Tribune. Lyft, you know, the driving company, Lyft, uh, is considering a new avenue to get customers, and that would be investing are becoming part of the beer business. Starting next week, the nation's second largest ride-sharing company, they're going to team up with Chicago's Batterbrow Brewing uh, to make a five-star lager. It will only be available in bars, only in 12-ounce cans, but then if you buy it, it'll feature a discount code for as much as $5 off a lift ride. So an incentive to buy beer and then take a safe ride home. Yeah, so Lyft tried this uh, earlier with Anheuser-Busch, but they said they wanted to go a little smaller, a little more local, and so they teamed up with Chicago's uh, Better About Brewing. It's called Five Star Lager because Lyft has their five star rating program for you to rate the drive and the or the driver on the app. And uh, I think this is really good marketing because this is how you generate your own customers on demand. So yeah. if you go to the bar or the restaurant and you see they're featuring this, or the bar. Uh, manager or the bartender or the wait staff says, hey, check out the Five Star Brewing. It's made locally. And if you do it, you get five bucks off your ride home. Um, there's a less li- liability for the bar too. Yeah. They point out in here, you know, for someone drinking a Miller Lite or a PBR at the end of the night, it's not that big of a difference. If you're going to pay $5 for a beer anyways, and you're going to take a Uber or a Lyft anyways, and you get $5 off of it, why not? <laughs> right. And so now you say, okay, now it changes your whole dynamic for the plan for the night. You don't even think about getting in the car to drive to. You just know I'm going to end up at this bar. I'm going to order this beer before I'm done. And I'm going to get five bucks off going home. And it changes your whole strategy for how you're going to go out. So for the bars that are partnering, really good. Brings people to them. Is that going to be the new trend? We're going to see Uber Uber beer and yellow ta- yellow like taxi cab beer. <laughs> and I mean, is that going to be the new trend? Could be. Good, good marketing. <laughs> yeah. Again, create your own customers. Two things that you normally wouldn't put together think should mix. That would be axe throwing. And drinking, right? You'd think those things should generally maybe stay separate. Yeah, I don't I don't do that at home on the weekend. <laughs> well, yeah, one business disagrees. Urban Axes, a competitive indoor axe throwing company, it already has a location where you can actually do this. It's in Philadelphia. In 2016, they opened their first one, but now they're planning to open a second location in Boston, uh, Somerville Union Square, this summer. So not only have they already opened this place, but it's so successful that they're considering opening a second location. So people are into this. People are into being able to throw axes where they drink their beer. I had no idea the popularity of urban axe throwing. <laughs> or rural axe throwing, yeah. for that matter. Uh, I didn't think that there was a demand that I would I think that would be the better one. Go out into the woods and throw <laughs> axes at things. <laughs> I am struggling with this because I don't know how I feel about going into a location where I know people have been drinking and then having the thought of sharpened metal yeah. and wood objects whizzing around the room anywhere. 
Do you think you have to sign a release? You probably do. They talk about how you have to go under training with a, an axe coach before they let you in. But then they also talk about, in the article here, about allowing corporations and wedding parties and stuff to come in there. And they, you know, you, you do it for like two and a half hours. Like, you know, who wants to go bowling? I want to go start throwing axes. I'm I'm not digging it myself. Probably got to have a lawyer on retainer, probably even on the premises at all times. Yeah, I wonder what their uh, insurance rates are. Yeah, and I hi. wonder. Hi, hi. Wonder what Talk liquor on the control. Thing. I'm just picturing like a lumberjack <laughs> marriage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Hipster, hipster wedding. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you got the beard, you got the, the flannel jacket. All you need is the axe, right? Perfect. <laughs> so, you know, if we ever go out to Boston or Philadelphia, we should go check this place out. But uh, we might want to dress up like a knight or like an armor or something like yeah. that. Because yeah, a little chain metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really am struggling with uh, what I would do here. Interesting, in Washington, you know, you can't take a gun into a bar. It's illegal. And yet here in uh, Philadelphia and now in Boston, you're going to go into a place that has weapons. They'll supply the weapons for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't <laughs> no. get it. We wish them luck. Well, maybe one person we could ask about how he feels about axes, weapons, throwing in bars is Kevin Stump, our friend, a bartender. We sat down with him earlier. We have gotten life tips from him. But going to talk to him more, hear a little bit more of his story. That's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Well, you've heard our friend Kevin Stump before in our segment Life Tips from a Bartender, but we actually sat down with Kevin for a while at the High Life in Ballard and had a great conversation about his years bartending here in Seattle and how it's evolved. We're at the High Life uh, restaurant, bar, and Ballard, the core of the kind of old town Seattle where all the ship activity happens, shipbuilding. And uh, we're here with Kevin Stump, who is, uh, we've known Kevin for several years now. Kevin, essentially, as he will tell you, has been around since before the Korean conflict uh, and has seen it all, heard it all, probably done all of it or most of it that was legal at the time. And you know, thanks for being here. Welcome. Hi, Justin. Hi, Mark. Very nice to have you guys here. Happy right. here. Thank you. Your life behind the bar. You've been doing this now how many years? I've been in this town since 1980, so uh, yeah, about 36 years, 36 years in the restaurant business, from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom, yes. This is a big foodie city, but it wasn't always, it wasn't always like that. When it comes to cocktail trends, that's a difficult one because for us, New York City, Chicago, Atlanta, Denver, they're cutting edge. That's where a lot of these cocktail competitions are being held, is in Denver, and they're a big deal. You know? I was talking last night about, would you call yourself a mixologist, and to a person, the, the five or six bartenders that were at the bar and behind the bar, at least one of them was, they recoiled. I wouldn't use the words they use to describe someone who describes himself as a mixologist. But when I see them at work, they do have crazy mustaches and a vest and suspenders on, which to me looks like you're playing the role of a mixologist, right? So, you know, places like this, this happened late 2000s, right, the 21st century began, bars became restaurants. Restaurants always had a bar, but then all of a sudden there was a flip, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's always been a build on the other side of the bar as far as 
cocktail trends and things that are not hip anymore. I haven't seen a frozen Tawaka shot in some time. I don't miss that. Um, I don't miss being in my 20s. I don't miss drinking like I was in my 20s. I'm sure somewhere someone's doing a jello shot, but uh, you're not going to find that in a bar. Not here. Red Bull vodka. Red Bull vodka. I started bartending after the Korean conflict, the original one. I've been doing this for a while. As as these trends go through, you'll see reoccurring ones like in the late 80s to the mid 90s. It wasn't Fireball. It wasn't BSB, of course. You know what it was? It was the go-to shot. Jaeger. It was Jaeger. And then, you know, for the last five, eight years, it's cinnamon shots. You know, the original cinnamon shot was what? You guys remember? Rumpelmans. Goldschlager. Goldschlager. That's correct. Or hot dance. Yeah. I used to specifically date girls who only drank Goldschlager. That's a true, that's a true story. What was your methodology behind that? Oh, I don't know. I think the flex of gold always helped. It made them seem fancy. Sparkles and right. dry. I wish that was a, I wish I was joking. I remember specifically finally getting a date with this girl, and the first thing she said is, "Do you have Goldschlager?" And I said, "Yes," and she said, "Okay." That's so she sad. Was in after that. So sad. She no. Well, I mean, there's so I mean, you can insert your your shot now, whatever that is for that for that genre, whether it be a college crowd or whether it be a college town, they're gonna have those those shot drinks. The deliveries are pretty much all the same. Third of a mixer, third of the shot, third of a liqueur that has a lower alcohol base in the main one, whether it be vodka or whiskey or gin. But all those shots stay the same. Just the, the players change. I remember when. Our cocktail menu back in, again, it changed the 21st century, mid-2006 is when we got more than just aromatic bitters behind the bar. We got orange bitters, we got peach bitters, we got cardamom. We started to get these other type of bitters, and it was a bitter-laden drinks for a hot thing. Well, now that's become sort of in the lexicon behind the bar, you have your bitter station. For us here locally in the Northwest, now we have our Northwest whiskeys or Northwest vodkas. They're not such a trend as they're here to stay, and you're going to see that draw down. You'll see the main players stick around. Ten years from now, you'll see two or three local vodkas, two or three local whiskeys instead of the selection that you have right now. It seems like something always sticks. If it's good, the reason why Manhattans and martinis stick around is because they taste good. You know? Spice curl. Thank you. That looks lovely. All right, what do you got there? So, we, the, 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 so the two drinks we have is a, uh, one is a tequila-based drink with Amaro, which is an Italian liqueur, some 40 different herbs, you know, for the most part, a bitter component to a cocktail. By itself, Amaro is a digestive. It's to soothe your stomach, so to speak. It's post-dinner. You're not drinking Amaro at noon. Drinking Amaro almost tomorrow. It's kind of worth it. So if my kids have an upset stomach and I'm going to give them Amaro shots? I think that soda bitters and lime would be a more appropriate way to go. Which has been around forever. Yeah. And that's why that bitters is still behind that bar. On that second station above you know, above your, your cocktail well there, you'll see those bitters. So this tequila-based drink, it's uh, Cabarros tequila, uh, Amaro, cardamom bitters, just speaking about that, lemon, simple, and a little bit of clove on top. So, as I was talking about, 
this this trend of complex cocktails, this is about as complex a build as you're going to get, and a complex build of flavors. You got tequila, you got the bitter components of this Amaro, which ranges from 10% to 40% uh, 40 proof alcohol. They don't usually get that much higher. So it's in the, I, I sort of categorize it as in the vermouth zone as far as how you blend it. Um, lemon simple syrup standards, but uh, this little this little topping of clove that can go right over the top real quick. So in the nose, you should get a little bit of clove. But what I smell primarily is tequila. And the build for these drinks typically goes like this: it's one and a half to two ounces of your base liqueur, and then a quarter to three quarters of each degree. And so when you read these cocktail menus, that's pretty much how you're going to see it. You're going to see it as the main drink. So Calvados tequila is listed on the menu. That's an ounce and a half to two ounces. So your next ingredient, Amaro, is probably going to be three ounces. Lemon and simple syrup, half and half. That's typically how they do it. And this goes for most of your restaurant menus as well. It's the first ingredient that is the that builds the dish, and everything else is sort of cut down to the very end. Almost like the last thing should be parsley, because all they do is just spin some parsley across the top of the cocktail. It's kind of like it's amazing. It's kind of like reading the, the nutritional guide in the back of a box of yes. whatever at the store. And this is one of the things that's changed on our restaurant menus from when I started. You know, as a server and a bartender, you were brought up with this mentality that you had to bring the menu to the guest. You had to bring the cocktail to the guest. This is one of the most dynamic things that has changed over the last 20 years. We didn't have this exhaustive list of ingredients with a disclaimer at the bottom with this is peanut allergies or undercooked food may cause you to be sick. If your favorite color is green, you might consider another bar. Whatever that is at the bottom of that station <laughs> on each of your menus. Because of this, you've eliminated the lead position of a bartender or as a server to sort of mold your meal. I bet at this point, 2017, I bet it's one out of a thousand people I see in a very busy bar that I work at that will say to me, not look at their menu, put their hands over their menu and say, what do you like here? Not what's good, because if there's a pet peeve of a bartender, it's that. So what's good here? <laughs> we have no idea what you drink, how you drink, you know? And I have tried that with seemingly older people, what I would predict to be 75 to 85 years old, and I say mezcal, a double shot of mezcal neat is always really good here. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just oh. curtail, well, I don't drink tequila, or I don't even know mezcal. So really, I don't even know why they ask the question. It's almost like, how are you doing? You don't really want to know. You just want that to, salutation to go by, and then we're all fine. right? If you actually stop and tell someone how you're actually doing, everyone's going to go home terribly, terribly sad. <laughs> so by listing all these ingredients, it spells you, it, it spells us, as, as, uh, more as, as, a, as a bartender previous, they can see what's on the menu. You don't have to introduce it when you're in the well and you're very busy. But the ability for me to bring something to somebody that they didn't know they liked, that's a that's probably the, the most difficult hurdle I have is trying to get people to get out of their regular shell. You know, um, the wine list at my restaurant is uh, very specific to shellfish. I don't have red wine. Okay. I have specific whites, rosés, and sparkling wines that intensify and enhance your shellfish. It's to escalate your shellfish's performance. And I tell people that, that exact way, Brian, I tell them that exact <laughs> way. And I say to them, we meet regularly with our purveyors and we bring the very best wines that match these oysters. So this is a good place to think outside the box, to do something you normally wouldn't. And eight out of 10 people say, I guess I'll have that Chardonnay. Like, that's as far as they're gonna stretch their wings. Well, there you
you have it. We got a little bit of a life tip from a bartender there at the end. Kevin Stump saying, let your bartender guide you and be be open to trying new things. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk to Sam Largent, co-owner of Flatstick Pub and Grill. It's such a fun place that Lydia and I happen to be the last people left when we had our holiday party there. We'll tell you more about that next. Welcome back to Cats Club Radio. I'm Maura Dooley here with Lydia Cruz, and we are talking to Sam Largent, the co-owner of Flatstick Pub and Grill, a place that is so fun. Lydia and I happened to be the last left in our group when we had our holiday party there. I think we played every game that they offer, and there are quite a few of them. So can you tell us a little bit how this great idea got off the off the ground, how you and your brother sort of took it from zero to 60? Oh, well, started well, we started in Kirkland about just about four years ago. And I guess we, I just, I came up with the idea for, for the kind of the beer bar slash indoor mini golf course concept. And I guess probably about five years ago now. And then I don't know exactly where it came from. It just uh, kind of hit me one day that it would be a fun combination. And I thought that people would like it. So I mm-hmm. eventually I quit my regular job and convinced my brother to come over to move over from Spokane to to help open it. We found the spot in Kirkland and that's kind of where it all got started. So you mentioned you had, you know, a regular day job. How do you go from from doing this? Did you have any experience, whether it's in like the bar, restaurant, any type of that experience under your belt? No, I guess that's kind of the funny thing is neither me nor my brother had ever even worked in a bar or a restaurant before. <laughs> wow. <So> we were <laughs> coming at it with no experience, but we kind of set it up to be very simple. We didn't have a kitchen, so we didn't have to deal with food and we didn't have hard alcohol. So pretty much we we're just selling beer and, and, and the mini golf. So it wasn't super complicated, but we still had a lot to learn. So what were your day jobs? What were your what other kind of experience did you bring to the equation? Uh, well, I was an accountant for for about 15 years before this. So that was definitely um, a good background to have, yeah. I think, to going into starting a business like this. Um, my brother was just, uh, he was working in customer service. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good background too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, <laughs> those, are, those are important things to be good at. How did you maybe compensate for just the lack of actual bar experience when it came to, because when you walk into Flatstick and you see what you guys have to offer when it comes to beer selection and stuff, how did you compensate for maybe your lack of experience there so you could start building what you'd offer behind the bar? Well, I had I had been really into the local brewery scene, and mm-hmm. so I kind of already had knowledge about, about the beer side of things just from a consumer side of it. So I think, I, I guess that's how we, we figured, figured out the beer side of things pretty easily. It was more, like the biggest challenges were dealing with the landlord and getting a lease and getting a contractor and architect and all those other things that I really had no idea on. So since you are a fan or or, you know, got your ear to the ground on the local brewery scene. What are some things that that you're seeing, you know, emerge from that or that you guys are offering at Flatstick or that you've made a part of your business? Yeah, so I guess that's that's an important part of, of our business is that we only serve beer from local Washington breweries and only ones that are independent, not owned by corporations. Or So we carry a lot of different beers on tap. We always have a pretty big variety of, of styles and we love look, uh, working with the, the local brewers and, and it, uh, it's been cool to see even since we first opened how many, how many more breweries there are even now in just a few years. I think we're something like 300 and some breweries now in Washington, so there's lots to choose from. 
So I think Flat Stick Pub is the perfect place to hang out with friends or take a date. I can't believe how many options there are. You guys have cornhole, you have beer pong, you have mini golf, something called duffelboard, which we'll have to explain to everyone later. It's so fun. But what I was surprised by when I went to the Pioneer Square location was how much of a uh, rush you seem to get from people, all the people getting off work from the local businesses there. And I'm sure you'll have that in your new East Lake location too. Was that something you had in mind or just kind of a nice side effect? That's always been a, a popular spot for the kind of the after work happy hour crowd. We have a pretty good happy hour deal and it seems to be a good place for like people to hang out after work. It's really casual and if people just want to hang out and have a drink or play some games, definitely a good spot for that. We get all kinds of different people in there, so it's a pretty broad audience of people that you see. And not just people. We've, we've seen some amazing dogs <laughs> and furry friends there. That's another cool element of your business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, we we love when people bring in their dogs. We do a, a contest every month, the Flat Stick Pup of the Month, and people really get into that. They take pictures of their dogs when they're in there, and we've had lots of like dog birthday parties or <laughs> all kinds of all kinds of dog events. People really really uh, I don't know taken to the idea of, of bringing their dogs in. And yeah, well, I love how you you have TV so. screens everywhere with the Instagram uh, posts where people tag you flashing, and you you see all kinds of local Instagram celebrity dogs. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a lot of them have their their own Instagram pages, and it's it's a fun thing. So, opening up this uh, new location in the East Lake area, what is next for your business? Because it seems like it's grown pretty quickly. It's developed a really big following. What's what's next on the horizon for Flatstick? Well, I mean, we're definitely focused on getting this next uh, location open in South Lake Union. So that's kind of our priority at the moment. And then from there, we'll we'll see. <laughs> we get a lot of a lot of interest from people wanting us to do this in other other areas, but nothing yeah. in the plans right now. We want to make sure we get this third one open and successful before we get too far ahead of ourselves. Well, Lydia and I will definitely be stopping by. We're big fans. <laughs> uh, when we had our holiday party at the Pioneer Square location, we were we were the last two from our holiday party. Yeah, left. literally, literally we played every game. But I, I need to deliver on my promise from earlier. I said that we we would have you explain duffelboard because we played it, but I'm not sure I know how to explain it. Yeah, it is kind of hard to explain. It's it's pretty simple once you learn, but it's it's sort of like a, a tabletop version of mini golf that you we've like modified a putter. So you're kind of like you hit the ball, but you're kind of like pushing the the putter thing at the ball. And it's developed now into like a course that we have in Pioneer Square where you play. We have 12, 12 different tables and you go through the course, you just hit one shot and wherever your ball lands, it gets a score between a one and a six and you want the lowest score. So you go through and you keep score just like you, kind of like you do with mini golf. And it's really quick, but but can be challenging uh, game to play. Yeah, um, we weren't doing very well, but um, one of your bartenders was kind <laughs> enough to offer us some, some advice. And we, we did all right after that, actually. He had some good tips. That's, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So that was that was like the first, our first take at it. And I think the new one that we have is going to, we've, we've learned a lot from that one. And so I think... We're going to be able to make the games a little bit better than we did the first time and more, even more fun to play. Even the first one's great, but I, I'm really excited about uh, creating a newer kind of updated version. So I think I think it's going to go over well. It's the evolution of Flat Sticks, the sequel. You know, there's some pretty good there's some pretty <laughs> right. good sequels out there. I was going to say, and Duffelboard has kind of evolved from what it first started out in Kirkland, where it was just a one tabletop game. 
that you play more it's more like a shuffleboard oh, wow. as far as the scoring and gameplay goes which is kind of where the name duffelboard kind of originally came from so it's had a few iterations it's uh it's really more of right. like, yeah uh, like a trilogy or maybe even more than that <laughs> yeah is there any other cool things that you guys do whether it's i mean events or things that you want people to know about so that we that people can get be a part of or well we have a really uh, a really good membership program and so people that sign up to be a member it's just a one-time fee that it's the lifetime benefits always free golf always free duffel board we have different like specials for members we have member parties and it's a really good way to kind of get to know people and in the pub and if you're wanting to become a regular at all it's a really good deal and fun way to meet all the the other customers. Yeah. We How do, do like members, mini golf tournaments and golf leagues. And nice. We can start a, a flat stick pub league. We can just start a, yeah. Yeah, a radio have, station uh, version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Monday night mini golf league, which is which oh, has been cool. really popular. And so we'll definitely have another one of those at the new location as well. Lydia's our ringer. No, no. She lies. <laughs> How do people get involved with that membership? Is it by coming in to one of your locations? Is it? Uh, you can, you just you sign up in person. Um, you, you can come in and the bartender or whoever's working can fill in the, the details for you. They'll hook you up. And for... Currently, it just costs $50. You get a t-shirt, a pint glass, and then all this other benefits. Um, the price is going to go up when the new location opens, but we haven't quite decided on the details. Nice. So get in now. Get in, get in while it's... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Easy, low, affordable price. <laughs> Lifetime benefits. Right. It's, yeah, and it's good at all the locations, too, so oh. it's a good deal. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for taking the time to chat with us. Tell some people about Flatstick. Where can people go to check out more information, or your website or social media? Yeah, we have a website. It's flatstickpub.com, or uh, we also have a pretty active Facebook and Instagram page. So we always have different events coming up that we that we post on those on those sites. Very cool. Thank you so much, Sam. Well, you can you can bet more and I will be in to a location yeah, soon. We'll see you. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great one. You can visit Plastic Pub in their Pioneer Square and Kirkland locations now and there's a South Lake Union location coming soon. Coming up next on Cast Club Radio, I have some booze related trivia questions. I'm gonna put Lydia and Justin to the test. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks for being here on this fine Saturday. Maura, you've got a little game for us to play, which one, I think I might embarrass myself with my lack of knowledge, but <laughs> that's what we're all about. We're close-knit family here. We can embarrass ourselves in front of each other. Have a try. Because yeah. I, you know, I have the answers with a little bit of a history behind them. So. Okay, good. So we'll, we'll all we can together. learn. It's a learning opportunity. Let's do it. Yeah, this I found on mentalfloss.com. And it's just a, a fun little quiz that had a lot of history I'd never heard before about beer, wine, and spirits history. Okay, first question. What brewer had a 9,000-year lease on its brewing facilities? Guinness, Bass, or Newcastle? Sounds like a Guinness. Sounds like a Guinness A thing. Guinness move to me, but... See, there we go. You oh, all right. right. confidence builder there. In 1759, Arthur Guinness signed a 9,000-year lease on the St. James Gate Brewery that makes his namesake beer. According to the terms of the deal, Guinness <laughs> had to fork over 45 pounds sterling a year in exchange for use of the brewery. 
At the time, it probably seemed like Guinness was getting hosed as the site was only four acres and was in pretty rough shape. But within a decade, Guinness had his brewery up and running and exported suds to England. Now, is this rent controlled? I mean, they're still paying sterling there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that's, that'd be pretty impressive. Yeah, or Bitcoin now. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Okay, what beer was invented to get around a Major League Baseball rule? Bush, Miller High Life, or Red Dog? No, I think I know what this one is, so it might be cheating. So uh, I'm going to go with Bush. Bush, yeah. You are right. Yeah. If you thought Anheuser-Busch's only advertising breakthroughs were Clydesdales and Talking Frogs, think again. In 1953, the brewery wanted to buy the naming rights for Sportsman's Park, the home of the St. Louis Cardinals, and rename the park Budweiser Stadium. National League President Ford C. Frick wasn't so hot on naming a stadium after booze, but he allowed Augustus Bush to stick his family's surname on the park. The Cardinals opened the 1954 season in Bush Stadium, and Anheuser-Busch quickly rolled out Bush Bavarian beer to take advantage of this advertising. Smart, and as the Cardinals fan in the room, it's been a pretty successful relationship. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so would you change your name to Sonics? Mm, no, probably not. <laughs> yeah. or, or Key. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What slogan did the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms force Coors Light to drop because it was misleading? The first one is Tap the Rockies. Then the coldest tasting beer in the world, or it won't slow you down. Ooh. Uh, I think it's the coldest tasting beer because they, they still yeah. use won't slow you down more recently. Yeah, I'm going to go coldest tasting beer. They Now they've got to do the mountains turn. Or, 42 degrees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's actually, it won't slow you down. Oh. In 1991, oh. the ATF made the observation that alcohol does, in fact, slow down <laughs> one's reflexes, and this the slogan had to go. But you can't slow down if you're the silver bullet train. you got to keep going. <laughs> well, I guess the ATF disagreed. We were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it should slow you down. It did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which whiskey pioneer died after kicking his safe in the midst of a temper tantrum? Jim Beam, Jack Daniel, or George Dickel? I have no idea. I'm going to go Jack Daniels because he seems like an uppity, fiery <laughs> character. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, Dickel. It was Jack Daniel. Oh, mm. kicking I've a safe, I've never heard this man. story before. One morning in 1911, Daniel showed up for work early and couldn't get his safe open. He flew off the handle and kicked the offending strongbox. The kick was so ferocious that Daniel injured his toe, which then became infected. The infection soon became the blood poisoning that killed the whiskey mogul. Mm. Yikes. Bad wow. way to go. Back temper then. tantrum. Literally, you were killed by a temper tantrum. Yeah. That is unfortunate. Self-inflicted wound. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. Just grab a shot and yeah. calm down. <laughs> you should have had a Coors Light. <laughs> or a shot of Jack. <laughs> it won't, won't slow you down. Which drink was named after a popular 19th century hoax? The Martini, the Daiquiri, or the Tom Collins? Mm, Tom Collins was a real guy, so uh, I would say Martini. One more time, popular popular hoax? Yes, 19th century hoax. Oof. Daiquiri, Martini, or Tom Collins? Yeah, I, just to be different, I'll go Daiquiri. Okay. It was actually the Tom Collins. In 1874, hundreds of New Yorkers heard some bad news while they were out on the town. A certain Tom Collins had been besmirching their good names. Although they didn't know Mr. Collins, they were outraged that Mr. he would slander Collins. them. Mm -mm. And they often set out to find the rascal. Of course, the root of the hoax was that there wasn't really a Tom Collins. People would say this to someone. Did you hear what Tom Collins said about you? And it uh, he became this mythical guy that everyone wanted to find. And I completely out. botched that. <laughs> completely botched that. <laughs> so to deepen the joke, bartenders started making the citrus cocktail that now bears the name. The Tom Collins. Fake news. It's the original fake <laughs> it news. It is the original. <laughs> fake booze. Okay, last one. According to legend, the Manhattan was invented for a party thrown by what future world leader's mother? JFK, Franklin Roosevelt, or Winston Churchill? The Manhattan was created for a future world leader's mother. For a party thrown by a future world leader's mother. Oh, by, so we okay. got JFK, we got Winston and or 
Um, Franklin Roosevelt. Mm. That's got to be Roosevelt. It's either Roosevelt it's so or Churchill. Back. It's not... So far back. Okay, I'll go Churchill. You go... Yeah. yeah. New York, Manhattan. It's Churchill. Churchill? <laughs> He's from London. What <laughs> the, the drink hell? may date back to the New York bar <laughs> scene of the 1860s, but there are also some more intriguing tales about its origins. According to one of these legends, Jenny Churchill threw a party at the Manhattan Club in 1874 uh-huh. to celebrate Samuel J. Tilden's victory in New York's gubernatorial election. An enterprising bartender created a new cocktail for the event, which he dubbed the Manhattan in the club's honor. Both of these characters were gone for bigger things. Churchill soon gave birth to a son, Winston, and Tilden made a presidential run in 1876. And Winston was also the name of uh, cigarettes, too. It's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Just thought we'd have some fun getting to know wow, the history yeah. behind We learned a little. There. We embarrassed ourselves a little. Thoroughly. But you know. you did pretty well. Thoroughly yeah. embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell by the look on my face? Yeah. <laughs> Well, what's on tap this month in terms of uh, cocktails that people should be making? We're getting ready for the Super Bowl. We talked about football a little earlier, but uh, what should people really be taking advantage of making this time of year? Yeah, so we have teamed up with our friends at Harvey's Hot Buttered Rum Mix over there at Bremerton. They were one of the leading producers of this uh, hot buttered rum mix. Their brand is very ubiquitously known in the Northwest. The yellow tubs yeah. of hot buttered rum mix that you keep in the freezer. So we're making a hot buttered BSB. Very simple. Two ounces of the BSB brown sugar bourbon, a tablespoon of Harvey's hot buttered rum mix, four ounces of hot water. Heat up the water, put that spoonful of the hot buttered rum mix in, and put in your two ounces of BSB. If you want a little more stiffer, BSB 103, 103 proof, and enjoy. Nice and get it nice and frothy. Whip it up a little bit and Ooh. sit back and enjoy it. It's still cold out, so it's the perfect perfect drink for that. It is. I was looking on the way to work today. 28 degrees. It would have. I mean, not the driving and drinking, but you know the <laughs> cold temperatures. Nice to have one waiting for you. Exactly. Here. Yeah. My wife has a recipe where she will also make her own hot butter rum mix with ice cream and cinnamon and nutmeg and uh, lots oh, of and butter. It takes your, lots of butter. Your house is so much fun. Powdered sugar. Right, you whip it up, then you put it in the freezer. You got to freeze it, but nobody wants to work that hard. Just go buy the Harvey's <laughs> hot buttered rum mix. You're, you will not be disappointed. Or my style. works, yeah, yeah. Well, as always, if you miss this episode or any other episodes of the podcast, you want to take a look, download. You can go to heritagedistilling.com. Right on the front page, there's a yeah. link where you can. Uh, it's a link for Cast Club Radio. Or you could go online to CairoRadio.com. Click on the podcast tab at the top. You can find Cast Club Radio there, download past episodes, and keep track of the show. And uh, you can also find us at Cast Club Radio on Facebook. And we encourage you to like it, share it, send us cocktail questions, ideas, suggestions, interesting stories you've got, and just general observations about beer, spirits, cocktail, cocktails, wine, and life. Well, that wraps up another episode of Cast Club Radio. We're nearing the end of January here. Got to have a lot of exciting, fun things coming up as spring rolls out. As you mentioned, pitchers and catchers date is close by, but that also means that baseball is close by. So there's going to be a lot of fun stuff. This is episode 14. So we're, you know, we're rolling along. There's lots for people to catch up on. If you haven't listened to the previous podcast, this is a good time to start binging. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next Saturday. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.